Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Welcome to Word Bomb by TVO, the podcast that explodes today's most talked about words and brings you stories the dictionary doesn't tell you. I'm Pippa Johnstone. And I'm Karina Palmatesta. And today we are talking about the word they. They, which you might not think is the most exciting word ever. Oh, I know. We've all heard of the word they. But today we're talking about the latest usage, the singular they. Mm -hmm. They as a gender neutral pronoun. The singular they points to one person who doesn't identify as male or female. Maybe you heard of the word in 2015. That's when the American Dialect Society named it the word of the year. Or maybe you heard it in 2016, when a University of Toronto professor, Jordan Peterson, released a series of YouTube videos that really launched this conversation into a controversy. Or maybe you haven't heard about this usage at all yet. So we're going to introduce you to some people who have a lot to say about the word they. Do you remember the first time that you heard the word they used in the singular? Yes, it really sticks out in my mind, actually, because it was in undergrad during a creative writing workshop. We were workshopping an essay. So this would have been around 2010. And in the essay, there was a non-binary person being quoted, and that person used they, them pronouns. And so there were like 15 of us around a table kind of grappling with this because most of us had never heard of they being used as a singular pronoun before. And so we were like discussing, does the sentence work? Like, how does, is this unclear? Would someone reading it be confused? And I remember going home after that class and turning it over in my mind for a couple days afterwards and thinking of it as this really interesting editorial puzzle that I had never really like thought about or encountered before. I feel like it really does blow people's minds when they first hear about singular they as an option. I remember around that table, there were like a few people who were a little unsettled by it. There were a few people who were kind of more challenging and um, maybe getting towards angry about it. There were some people who were really enthusiastic. It was a really mixed bag. And for reasons that we will dive into later, it really can be jarring the first time you're asked to use it. And add it to your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. We talked to Lex Canelli about that same moment of hearing they for the first time. Lex uses they, them as their pronouns and is a PhD student in linguistics and sexual diversity at the University of Toronto. It was at a concert. It was this teeny tiny little queer concert in Victoria, B.C., which is where I'm from. It's a small queer community there. And a friend of mine is a, a musician and he was uh, doing like a little set. And there were all of these like new queers there who I'd never met before, which was always a very exciting thing because in a small town like Victoria, I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, but if you see a queer that you've never met before, it's very exciting. It's like a it's, it's like a it's like a Christmas practically. And I was introduced to somebody. And after they had sort of moved away, my friend who introduced me, to them said, oh, just just so you know, so-and-so uses this 
pronoun, right? So don't refer to them with these pronouns, refer to them with this pronoun. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of that happening, but just like something in my heart opened in, in that moment. I really love that story. It's such a cool moment. Yeah. Especially when you hear from someone like Lex, what a profound impact it had on them when they first learned about singular they or gender neutral pronouns as an option. Especially considering that Lex went on eventually to make that the main focus of their PhD. They actually told us why it was so important to them to study the relationship between language and identity in transgender communities. When you're referring to somebody else, that's one of the most political things that you can do. Like, think about, you know, the difference between, like, asking for somebody's pronouns versus assuming what they are. Or using what you know are the correct pronouns versus, you know, sort of stubbornly refusing to do that. Like, all of those speech acts send a really powerful message about the dynamic of power and respect in the conversation. So, yeah, pronouns are, are a very important part of that. And, you know, they, of course, as well. We asked Lex about the history of they used as a singular pronoun. It's been around for a long time, actually, but not in the form that we're discussing today. So singular they is attested in English since at least the late 15th century. So it's been a very, very, very long time that singular they has been around, actually. But there's an important distinction in the uses of singular they. So you'll read a lot in sort of uh, media defenses of singular they that, you know, Shakespeare used it and Jane Austen used it and Lewis Carroll used it. And that's totally true. That's absolutely true. But even though it's been around since the late 15th century, it was limited to some really specific contexts. Really specific contexts like when gender is unknown to the speaker or unimportant to the sentence. Okay, so what does that sound like? So a sentence like... The perfect student always brings their book. Oh, okay. So this was singular they historically and how it's still used today. But what we're interested in is singular they being used in a new way to refer to a specific non-binary individual. Non-binary meaning someone who doesn't identify as he or she. Right. That usage, Lex told us, is the more recent innovation. So when we say that singular they has been around for a very, very long time, that's true. But it's also undergone this more recent, really awesome change that obviously has really, really important implications for, for people who use that pronoun to refer to themselves. One of the ways we know that singular they is gaining a lot of traction is because it's been added to a few important style guides in the last few years. Okay, what's a style guide again? So a style guide is like a manual that publications use to make sure they're being consistent across all their materials. Consistent about what? You might find entries on spelling, capitalization, citations, that kind of thing. They're updated every few years and used across entire industries. So they're really interesting in that you can kind of track social change through the decisions that are made in each new edition. That's really cool. Yeah, things like, do we capitalize the internet? Like a capital T, capital I, yeah, the internet. Yeah. Or the verb uh, to Google. <laughs> Ten years ago, yes. Today, maybe we don't capitalize it. The Associated Press style book, that's the one that's used by most news outlets in the United States, they added singular they to their style guide in 2017, and the Washington Post style guide added it in 2015. Bill Walsh, who was the Washington Post's copy editor, he actually died in 2017, said that singular they is, quote, the only sensible solution to English's lack of a gender neutral third person singular personal pronoun, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. But that's by no means the only take on it. One of the criticisms that I've heard is that it is difficult 
difficult to remember, difficult to adjust. Right. I remember I worked at a theater company and we have a front of house speech. So that means before the play starts, we say, ladies and gentlemen. And I had heard a friend's company had been asked to change their language around that. So I thought, why don't we do that too and find a more welcoming way to introduce the audience at the beginning of the show? Right. And I remember I tried to make this point and people were so resistant. They were saying, but what are the chances that someone who doesn't belong to the group's ladies or gentlemen comfortably, what are the chances that somebody would be in the audience? And I was like, what is the challenge of just saying, good evening, everyone? Yeah, that's a really simple solution. And also sidebar, ladies... And gentlemen is such a, like, who, I'm not a lady. I don't feel, feel like I fit comfortably I into those. I don't have a fur stole. Like, I, everyone seems, seems better. Right? I'm everyone. I don't know if I'm a lady. Linguistic changes are tough sometimes, for sure. But usually there's such an easy fix. Like, I've heard people use the word folks. Mm -hmm. I'm partial to the word team. Some people can pull off y'all. I'm not one of them, but that's another good gender-neutral uh, way to address a crowd. And that's not the only criticism out there. No, definitely not. In an interview with Steve Pakin, the University of Toronto professor I mentioned earlier, Jordan Peterson, outlined his own concerns with gender-neutral pronouns. Well, fundamentally, there, there were two things that really bothered me. One was that... I was being asked, as everyone is, to use a certain set of words that I think are the constructions of people who have a political ideology that I don't believe in and that I also regard as, as dangerous. What are those words? Those are the made-up words that people now describe as, um, as gender-neutral. To me, they're an attempt to control language and, and in a direction that isn't happening organically, but by force and by fiat. And I would say by force, because there's legislative power behind them. So and I don't so like these made-up words, Z and Zer and that sort of okay. thing. What's particularly interesting about criticizing a word for being made up is that all words are made up, right? Like, right. Just because something was made up 500 years ago doesn't mean it's not made up. Language is all made up. It's made up for us, by us. And if there's a lack of a word, we invent a new word to fill that gap. Mm -hmm. So in that interview, Peterson references Z, often spelled Z-E, and Zir, Z-I-R. Other people use Z and Here, which is H-I-R. And these are just some new gender-neutral pronouns, sometimes called neo-pronouns. Like neo as in new. Yeah, exactly. But the pronoun we're talking about today, they, isn't even a new word. It's just a new usage. Right. Peterson became known in the last few years as this vocal critic of gender-neutral language, and he even argued against it in the Canadian Senate on a hearing about Bill C-16. Right, Bill C-16. That's the bill that added gender identity to the Human Rights Act. Yeah, so it's an amendment to the Human Rights Act and also to the Criminal Code that protects gender identity from discrimination. What would that mean, like, in practice? In practice, that would just mean it becomes illegal to refuse housing, services, or employment based on gender identity or expression. So that's the same way you can't discriminate against someone based on their age, their race, their disability, and so on. Right, all the things currently in the code. Mm -hmm. The only change to the Canadian Criminal Code adds trans and non-binary people to the list of groups that are protected from hate speech or language that incites genocide. Just misgendering someone, just using the wrong pronoun, is not nearly extreme enough to be considered hate speech and is not going to be considered inciting genocide. Uh -huh. 
it would have to be accompanied by some other really hateful speech. Right. Plus, the Ontario Human Rights Code added protections for gender identity and expression in 2012 and says that purposeful misgendering could be considered discrimination in areas like education or housing. So this law has been in place governing the land that Jordan Peterson lives in for five years before C-16 was implemented. Yeah. And spoiler alert, C-16 did successfully pass. But here's a clip of Jordan Peterson's testimony against it in the Senate. The types of pronouns you're talking about, just so everyone's clear, because I don't think these are common parlance, um, Z and Zer and what other sorts of gender-neutral pronouns are we discussing here? Well, I have a very bad memory for that sort of thing, but if you're interested in it, you can find lists of them very rapidly on the web, and, and they've been produced by people whose essential desire is to gain linguistic control. It's a real problem as a consequence that you make failure to make their use something that that could carry a criminal penalty. So I don't understand how the government can justify imposing a criminal penalty on the use of words that no one either knows or uses. It it just seems preposterous to me, but there it is. So here, Peterson misrepresents the bill. Brenda Kosman, a professor of law also at the University of Toronto, says Peterson is, quote, fundamentally mischaracterizing Bill C-16. Kosman has been quoted by lots of media sources and has written for the Globe and Mail on this specific topic, actually. In an interview with Lisa Cumming of Torontoist, Kosman said, quote, I don't know if he's misunderstanding it, but he's mischaracterizing it. I don't think there's any legal expert that would say that this would meet the threshold for hate speech in Canada, end quote. In Canada, the ceiling for what constitutes hate speech is very high. According to Kosman, simple pronoun misuse would not meet that requirement. At most, hateful misgendering could incur a fine, but no criminal charge. Here's Peterson again. If they find me, I won't pay it. If they put me in jail, I'll go on a hunger strike. I'm not not doing this. That's that. I'm not using the words that other people require me to use, especially if they're made up by radical left-wing ideologues. So, as we're seeing, there are so many different criticisms out there for the use of singular they, but dictionaries add thousands of new words every year. So why is one pronoun's evolution causing so much stress? Well, so every time you see one of those articles about, like, new words being added to the Oxford English Dictionary or Merriam-Webster every year, that list is almost guaranteed to be made up of open-class words. What are open-class words? In English, there are words that are easy to change in makeup and those that are not. It's really easy to make up a new noun or a new verb. Those are called open class. We learn them really quickly. We incorporate them into our speech really comfortably. But there's also a category of words that linguists call closed class. Closed class words don't tend to accept new members, and they change really slowly. It can take generations for a closed class word to change meaning or to be incorporated into speaking patterns. So what is an example of a closed class word? Think of it as any word that's more like the connective tissue in a sentence. So, for example, conjunctions like but or so or prepositions like into and pronouns like her or his. Just imagine someone telling you not to use the word the or but in the next conversation that you have, or imagine someone asking you to define those words, like give me a definition of what the word my means. It's hard (laughs) because they feel so natural. They feel so intuitive. You're never going to see a closed class word in a spelling bee. So those ones are a lot more rigid, I guess. Yeah, they're just harder to change. But it's important to remember that even though it's hard, closed class items do shift in meaning and have before. 
Oh, yeah? Yeah. So one really good example is the word you, Y-O-U. In English, it used to be plural, not singular. And obviously that's changed now. Lex actually told us a bit about how that went down starting in around the 11th century. So from Old to Middle English, English had two second-person pronouns. We had thou, meaning you. Right. And we had ye, which later became you, right? Thou was singular, and ye, which became you, was plural. Gotcha. But after the Norman conquest of England, there was this sort of injection of French into English society. As you can probably imagine, this led to a substantial influence of French. And once that conquest started to erode, there was this upheaval of the class system in England. And class boundaries were fluid in a way that they hadn't been uh, in English society for a very, very long time. And so by analogy from French, which has two second person pronouns that indicate formality, right? You've got two, which is in formal and you've got vu, which is formal, the you started being used in singular contexts to sort of confer respect to the other person, right? Sort of like vu in French. And it became really risky socially to refer to someone as thou. You ran the risk of communicating to them through subtext that you were better than them. So you increased in usage. And people loved it. It caught on really quick, went really well. Really? No, no, not even a tiny bit. Like People were <laughs> incredibly bent out of shape about it. Actually, we have this amazing quote from this uh, 17th century English writer named Thomas Elwood. And he wrote in his autobiography this fantastic rant about singular you. Okay, what does he say? Well, he says that um, using singular you was contrary to the pure plain and single language of truth, and that it was, quote, an evil custom that uh, corrupted the modern languages and greatly debased the spirits and depraved the manners of men. Oh, oh yeah. Does that remind you of anyone? It sounds familiar. And, and you know, it also reminds me of just the way that people talk about kids these days, millennials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Change is hard. And people have tried to do this before. Like there are a lot of examples of people trying to like shoehorn a gender neutral pronoun into English. Obviously it's a problem that people have been trying to solve for a while. Yeah, the ones that Jordan Peterson mentions in the Senate, Z and Zier or Z and here, those ones are not as common as the singular they is today. When you look into it, there are so many yeah, other than they. There are a ton. But but the thing is that like I think it sort of makes sense that they're not being used really widely right now because it's like a double whammy. Like, you're inventing a new word, that's hard, and then you're inventing this new word that should be a closed class word. It's doubly hard. Yeah. So, like, with they, I think it actually is a really tidy solution because it's already an English word. It's already a closed class word. You're just changing the nuance in certain sentences and honestly, I think when people try to use the like grammar defense as a way to argue that they couldn't possibly be used to indicate a single person, like I've, I've heard people say stuff like, well, like, what am I supposed to say? They is going for a walk. It's like, no, like you weirdo, just say they're going for a walk. Like, just, <laughs> just, just be cool about it. It's not that hard to incorporate. I think the grammar thing is just more like a fake out. If you're having kind of a knee jerk emotional reaction to the idea of someone being non-binary or not identifying as a man or a woman, Lex gave us their take on grammar purists. 
I guess one thing I find very frustrating as as both a linguist and a trans person is the use of grammar as a shield. The fact of the matter is that grammar is in a lot of ways a social construct. Language is really what we make of it. There's an expression that I'm quite fond of saying, which is that you don't crack open a coconut and find language inside, right? Language is not something organic that exists in our environment independent of us. So to say that something is is bad or wrong because it's ungrammatical is disingenuous. I like what Lex said there. It's almost like thinly veiled discrimination, right? Mm, and depending on the situation, like... When I'm proofreading a book, I can't ditch the style guides on my bookshelf. But what gets problematic is when we conflate grammar with morality or intelligence or like rightness and wrongness. And when we decide there's a right kind of English and a wrong kind of English and by extension, the right and wrong kind of English speaker, which like we all know who tends to end up on the wrong side of that divide. You know, young people or racialized groups or anyone who is not in the most privileged class in our society. And, like, the fact is that rules become outdated and language changes and style guides are rewritten and updated and no amount of, like, correcting or shaming people for not talking right, quote-unquote, is going to change the fact that language evolves. In high school, I feel like I was one of those people who kind of gleefully pointed out grammatical mistake like if you you grow up and you're a bit of a keener and like have a facility for languages it's easy to be that kind of person who's like oh it's actually i know i'm trying not to say grammar nazi grammar yeah grammar nazi but now it just like oh just makes my skin crawl when people relish pointing out like oh you use the rug it's like yeah language is like a collective creation Mm -hmm. why can't we invite everyone into that collective right right And I guess in a certain way, it's no surprise that this causes so much controversy because language is so personal, especially when it's the word that is used to describe you. Mm -hmm. To get a better sense of the day-to-day consequences of claiming the pronoun they, I talked to Ray Takai. What do you feel that the word they gives you that no other gender pronoun could give you? Mm. An explanation. It just feels like it feels right to me. It just feels so comfortable. Like, oh yeah, that's it. Like, putting on a sweater. Ray uses they in their real life and in their non-binary drag persona, Rose Butch. So Rose Butch is not a drag queen, not a drag king, but a drag thing. I knew that I wanted to do something that wasn't hyper-masculine or hyper-feminine, because I was like, well, I'm a non-binary person, and if I'm going to do drag, like, what is that going to look like? Ray came out before many people at their school really understood gender non-binary identities, and it was really hard for people to grasp in the beginning. In my first semester at theater school, we had a check-in at the end of a class and I was like, so everybody, like, I just want you to know that I'm actually, I'm not a girl and like, this is my name. And if you call me the other one, it's like, it's not accurate at all. And actually I would like everyone to start calling me they. And I had a meeting with my teachers and they were like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, how would I use that in a sentence? I'm like, well, It's like you're saying, like, Ray fell, and then they fell down the stairs. And that was, like, the the example that I gave them, that I fell down the stairs. And they're like, okay, well, that sounds like it'll be hard. I was like, yes, probably will be for you. (laughs) And people still get these pronouns wrong. I know that I make mistakes all the time. Yeah, I I do it a lot, too. As we were talking about, it is hard to change that kind of word. Also, it's worth 
correcting yourself, it's worth reminding yourself. Yeah, it takes a bit of time and it takes a bit of accommodation. And sometimes it causes like awkward moments. And unfortunately, those awkward moments of correcting people become a regular occurrence for a lot of people who use they. It used to get me really, really frustrated when people wouldn't get it right away because I thought that it was so clear. And so I ended up having a conversation with a friend who was like, you can't just get frustrated with people. You can't just shut people out right away because then they turn off to the conversation and they don't want to learn at all. And that's like, it's true. That really like, like hit me after that conversation started to have a lot more patience just like gently saying like also if it's difficult for you to say they my name is also one syllable and uh you can just say that instead instead of just saying like the wrong pronoun which works for most people that's like the gateway <laughs> into they saying right i feel like they really shows us how this issue is about more than words and they is this great opportunity for people to make that choice to be inclusive right like how lex said referring to somebody else is one of the most political things you can do yeah exactly i feel like we should enjoy the fact that english is so flexible yeah it's a living breathing thing and should serve all of us well, that's all for this week's episode. Word Bomb, a TVO podcast, is produced by me, Pippa Johnstone. And me, Karina Palmatesta. Thanks to Hannah Sung, manager of podcasts at TVO. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on TVO's Facebook and Twitter. Just use the hashtag WordBomb. We're also on Instagram at WordBombPodcast and at TVO.org slash WordBomb, where you can find some other resources. Today's show was recorded in the Allen Slate Studios at Ryerson University in Toronto, Ontario. On the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.